listening to Adjective New Music's podcast, Lexical Tones. I'm your host, Rob McClure. Dreamy, imaginative, domestic. Puerto Rican composer and multi-instrumentalist Angelica Negron writes music for accordions, robotic instruments, toys, and electronics, as well as chamber ensembles and orchestras. Her music has been described as wistfully idiosyncratic and contemplative, by WQRXQ2 and mesmerizing and affecting by Feast of Music, while the New York Times noted her capacity to surprise and her quirky approach to scoring. Her music has been performed at Bang on a Can Marathon, the Ecstatic Music Festival, and the 2016 New York Philharmonic Biennial, and she has collaborated with artists like So Percussion, Load Bang, American Composers Orchestra, and Face the Music, among others. Angelica is currently a doctoral candidate at the Graduate Center at the City University of New York, where she studies composition with Tanya Leon. She's a teaching artist for the New York Philharmonic's Very Young Composers Program and Lincoln Center Education, working with learners of all ages on creative composition projects. All right, so uh, thanks for doing this, first of all. Oh, thanks for having me. I um I just got in the world of podcasts, so I and I was just listening this morning to your episode with Emma. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Which is really good. So I'm excited to now, like, dig in and and listen to to all the other episodes. Yeah, Emma, Emma was really fun to talk to, and she. Uh, I mean, just just like you, she also has like a um a, a another side of her, which is mm-hmm. more on the you know more on the pop side, and that was mm-hmm. really fun to talk to her about. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so let's, uh, so let's start with your piece, um, bubblegum grass peppermint field. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was kind of, uh, how I found you was, was through this piece and it's, um, it's for electronics, li- live electronics, correct? Um, yeah, it, this is a complicated one just because it's supposed to be an electronic gamelan ensemble. That's right. what I wrote it for. But, uh-huh. um, because that, that, uh, that ensemble that played it at the premiere is not is not even uh, available for to like rent if someone wants to. Then it's uh-huh. become more um, more popular in the in, in terms of being played and more in the elect- like fixed electronics actually uh-huh. and um, string quartet. But it was for electronic gamelan, which in a way it's live electronics. Yeah, because are you? I mean, is it you're basically doing? Um sampled sampled sounds and then playing them back on like uh devices or whatever yeah so it's all midi controllers but that are modeled after a traditional balinese um gamelan ensemble okay awesome so can you talk about the first time that you heard gamelan music and how it affected you or or how it excited you so i think the first time i heard gamelan music was maybe maybe it was about 10 years uh, ago or something. I have uh, one of my best friends. She's an ethnomusicologist. Mm-hmm. Um, so as she was studying, I was discovering a lot of of music from around the world with her. And and I don't remember exactly what it was, but I remember she playing me this music, and she was like, "Oh, this sounds like a lot of the new music that you listen to." Or uh, <laughs> and at the time, I, that was a lot of uh, bang in a can. Um, uh-huh. Still, actually, uh, but and. But she was like, "Oh, this sounds familiar to what you've been listening to." So I, uh, I was completely like just blown away by all the. I think just the resonance was mm-hmm. for me huge. Just I'm oh I've always been really into bells, and 
and the resonance and all the in-between pitches in that resonance were just like for me mind-blowing and and just the intricacies of of the interlocking and and just the entrancing quality of it was just gorgeous so i fell in love with it uh pretty quickly yeah i think it's interesting that you bring up um resonance as something you really connected to because when you listen to the um the sounds that you have on this electronic gamelan they're like very kind of short dry mm -hmm. very, very um very like very close mic'd in a way so mm -hmm. so and was that um and i think we're going to get into this with some of, some of your other pieces but was that kind of your way into the gamelan sound as having those really short dry things so uh, it's interesting that you mentioned that because it was totally done like on purpose i i was looking for for i wanted to use the gamelan a gamelan scale and i wanted mm -hmm. to use the like <clears throat> the principles behind it in terms of rhythmic uh kind of interaction but i I wanted to play a little bit with the like taking away something that was really essential in gamelan, right. which is the resonance. Which yeah. actually, it's like the resonance is something that influences a lot of my other music that might not have gamelan scales. Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't want it to like go fully, fully with it. I want I all of the all of the electronic sounds in this piece are domestic sounds from my kitchen, mm -hmm. and I wanted to kind of in a way uh, stay stay true to those sounds and which I love processing, but for this piece, I wanted a, the instrumentation itself was so interesting and, and also so visually like, there you go. That's gamelan, even though it's a weird electronic instrument, but they look like a gamelan right. um, ensemble. And so I wanted to play a little bit with like the expectations of what you might, the resonance of what you might hear in an actual gamelan instrument mm -hmm. and the control you have when, it's just something that looks like it, but it could really trigger any sound because it's a MIDI controller. Yeah. And I mean, I'm guessing that, I mean, when you, well, actually, it sounds like that this electronic gamelan is is almost as unwieldy as a, as a <laughs> getting a, a real gamelan in there, you know, yeah. like, like really expensive, really, uh, yeah. the lo logistics of it would be um pretty difficult but i'm also guessing that this this practice of it just comes from your uh your practice of making things from whatever is around you which i think comes mm -hmm. through in a lot of your of your other pieces so is that is that kind of your mentality when when you're starting a new piece oh well i have i have this i'm gonna make something from it yeah, definitely. And and every piece kind of starts with uh, like creating a sound bank, which is the palette for the mm -hmm. piece. Um, so I might have an idea of what the piece will be, but it's not until I start collecting the sounds that will that will be a part of the piece that the piece kind of starts to take its own shape and, and its own life. And, and I also like to kind of reimagine not only sounds around me, but also instrumentation and um and, and I know that, and I admire a lot of composers that do that with traditional instruments a lot. Mm -hmm. And and that, you know, you hear a piece that's a solo violin piece and you would never, if you're not hearing it live, if you're just listening to a recording, you would never know that it's a solo violin. And right, I, yeah. I love that, but my approach, it's more of like, um, like if it's a it's a gam electronic gamelan ensemble, so let, like let's play a little bit with the, okay, I'm going to give you a straight gamelan uh 
scale and and all the things you expect from gamelan but there's always going to be something a little off yeah. um and so i'm always i i love to play with that with that idea of like giving giving you what you expect but also something that throws you off a little bit same with the found sounds like it might sound like a teapot and sometimes you might recognize it as that but um but it, it could be a, a sample xylophone right. note right yeah um so so that's something that's really interesting to me I th- I think it's um wh- I think one of the main criticisms that a Western listener could have of gamelan music is that it starts and then it goes and then it stops without mm-hmm. much cause and effect happening and I mean I think listening to gamelan with like a Western perspective is kind of a mistake but you mm-hmm. are placing you're placing this gamelan practice into a kind of Western arts concert situation. Right. So, so what expectations should the listener come in with and how are you like confirming or thwarting those expectations? I mean, you've already mentioned the sound that, you know, that this is a gamelan looking ensemble, but it's electronic, you know, anything can come from that. So that's, mm-hmm. that's one way. But in terms of like, um, the flow of the music or how we uh, how how we are basically how 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 we know like this piece this happens for a reason or something yeah that's a a great question because i mean as composers we have many different influences from styles genres and different cultures um but there's also a another side to this which could be problematic cultural appropriation um which has mm. been talked about a lot especially with gamelan composers yeah. yep. and um and i feel that same way and uh about you know composers that use rhythms from the caribbean and mm-hmm. i'm not known for that i do have some pieces that do that but i i i do find it problematic when it doesn't sound genuine and i know that's very abstract but um mm-hmm. But I think for me, at the at the end, it it's always about the music, and so in terms of expectations, as you were asking, like I'm thinking that I want to create kind of like a a world, a little world that people could exist for a couple of minutes, mm-hmm. and when they are listening, I don't want them to feel like excluded because they don't know what gamelan is right i want the piece to stand alone as you know that's another thing of like live performance versus recording but i'm but even if you're if you're watching it i want you to think you know even if you don't know anything about gamelan oh that's cool that those sounds are coming from those objects and Mm -hmm. for me that's enough if the music is is reaching you in 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 a way that's making you kind of lose yourself a little bit because i'm all about like escaping and yeah. and and music for me uh it has that powerful kind of effect so i i want my music to kind of provide that window to people to like just be able to lose themselves in the music and there's a lot of other elements to it and and there is cultural references there is other musical references um but that's why i love playing with something that's that's like if you know gamelan then you're like oh yeah that's a gamelan-y sound um but if you don't know gamelan it's not like it's not putting it to to you know it's not kind of closing it i i want to leave it leave it open if i don't know if that answers your question but um no i think it does like you but if if you were to just take take a like a a regular acoustic gamelan and put it into this piece you know that would immediately bring in associations and kind of put you 
put you in a corner that you probably did, you know don't want to be in but by using electronics and using sounds that are in a way you know familiar to us like we hear mm-hmm. these sounds whether we whether we're listening to them as music or not we hear them every day so mm-hmm. like creating a gamelan out of those sounds immediately allows people to have a lot of different connections to your music i think right and exactly and and i think it's all about connections and and just making things that um that hopefully have a meaningful connection with with people and mm-hmm. and i think a lot about accessibility and not necessarily in the terms that it's talk about in new music of like the harmonic language or melodic language that you're using and you know that's a big part of it and for me it's i do that because that's the sounds I want to listen to, not because of accessibility, but I think of accessibility more in terms of like listening to sounds that are familiar to you and that you can connect to and, and creating worlds in which those sounds exist with other sounds that you might not listen to in your everyday life. So there's a section kind of towards the end. I think it's around, you know, the five and a half, maybe six minute, um, where it seems like the members of the ensemble kind of, almost go into separate tempos mm-hmm. and you're, you're kind of creating it. Was this a kind of deconstruction kind of creating like rhythmic dissonance that would eventually be resolved? Are you talking about the moment where it's a lot of glissandos and it's um, like more spatial or it's a very rhythmic moment that I think it's very seem to be independent. Yeah. It, I think it's very rhythmic. Okay. I, yeah, I know the part you're talking about. I, I wasn't consciously thinking of, of deconstructing, but I, I do love playing with rhythmic cells and, mm-hmm. and seeing how they can, like playing with the idea of like, I love music with a beat and yeah. a groove and, and like nodding my, he- my, my head when I listen to music. Um, but I also love playing as a composer, playing with like, oh, where's the beat? <laughs> and, right, yeah. And I think that comes also from like a lot of influence from electronic music and, mm-hmm. and, and warp records and Autiker and, and electronic and Apex Twin and musicians like that. Yeah. It re- it kind of reminded me of, um, and you're going to have to give me a second because I can't <laughs> remember the, uh, um, I was in, uh, I, I've been in China for the past four years and since I've, oh, uh, wow. yeah. Um, and are you in China right now? No, 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 no. I'm, oh, I'm in the States. <laughs> Now, um, I, I just moved back and, uh, cool. now I'm, now I'm teaching at Ohio university. But, um, when I was there, uh, the very first year I was able to, um, get to meet, we, we had like kind of a world music conference and we had a scholar who was studying Burmese music. There it is. I, mm-hmm. I knew if I talked long enough, I would remember it. Um, but <laughs> she, she played some of this like traditional Burmese music and, um, it had this kind of rhythmic looseness to it, which, yeah. which I really found, really found interesting, you know? Mm-hmm. And it was like, the, the thing is that this music is almost always uh, played by amateurs. Mm-hmm. So I was asking her, well, is this, is this just because they're amateurs or is this part of is is this part of the language? Is this part of right. the aesthetic? And it was absolute for for them. It's absolutely part of the aesthetic. And I always find that those moments when rhythm is actually a thing that we play with, and not not just it's in a grid, and it uh, you know it it if it doesn't lock in, then it's wrong. But rather, if if it doesn't lock in and that's right, 
Mm-hmm. That's that. Those are really interesting moments for me musically. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I. I'm. I'm really curious now to hear to hear her music. Yeah. Um, but I. That also reminds me that this probably it was not conscious, but um, I think it's always in the back of my mind is my lessons with Tanya Leon, mm-hmm. who was my my professor at uh, during my uh, doctoral studies, and she she always talked about rhythm as something that is not in the grid and something that is uh, moving. And she had this uh, um, that I, I'm pretty sure if you studied with Tanya, you recognize the the wheel that she draws and like with the different layers of the wheel and how mm-hmm. like sometimes things are so fast that they feel slow and like kind of the different layers in which rhythm can can move and how rhythm is perceived. And yeah, so I think that's an, another big influence. She's you know, she's like the master of, of, of working with rhythm and, awesome. and I owe, owe that to her too. What, uh, what does the title mean? Oh, bubblegum grass, peppermint field. <laughs> so titles are interesting. Um, I think for everyone, but I'm always drawn to the same thing as with sounds in a piece of music. I'm drawn to the sound of words. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, that sometimes means that titles are in Spanish or they're in English uh, depending on on how I feel the piece sounds like and mm-hmm. I it's a little abstract to talk about this but I it's more about textures and I just felt that those words really kind of capture the the texture of the of the piece and as I was talking about a lot of my music is about escaping and and sometimes uh, I like to name the places I want to escape to and this mm-hmm. place just happens to have bubblegum grass and and a peppermint field and so it's just very kind of surreal dreamy type yes yeah that's that's right it's i'm really influenced by surrealism i'm glad you brought it up because it's not it's not a sticky place to be in it's right it's more of us it's as this thing that exists but at the same time doesn't it's more like kind of in a a surreal surrealist painting Mm -hmm. yeah that's spot on (laughs) awesome so who are we going to hear on this recording so you're going to hear uh performers from the bang and i can summer music festival uh todd reynolds is leading on on first violin and some others and and then we have students from from the bang and i can summer festival and then on actually the the electronic gamelan ensemble and the string quartet so it's uh 14 players Playing. And I'm sorry, I can't remember everyone's, That's okay. everyone's name, but they were all super awesome. And and yeah, this piece was written for the for the Banganakan Summer Festival. Awesome. So this is Bubblegum Grass Peppermint Field. Thank you. 
So let's move on now to your piece La Isla Magica. And this is uh, a piece for double bass and, and fixed media. So your electronics, I think, when coming from a recorded source material, and we I kind of mentioned this before, they have a closeness about them that I really appreciate, like an like an intimate quality because we, you know, their sounds taken from our everyday lives or kitchen or house or whatever. Can you talk about that kind of intimate quality of your music? Yeah, I'm, I'm very drawn to sounds that are, I don't want to say ignored, but maybe not recognized as musical. Mm-hmm. And in that category, there's a lot of domestic things, but there's also... Uh, toy instruments as well mm-hmm. or instruments that are not toys but people don't take them that seriously so for La Isla Magica there's a lot of recorded um, of sampled harmonicas oh okay yeah too. Um, and I that piece I at that time I was re- listening a lot to the soothing sounds for babies the Raymond Scott albums which I really love and uh, so I kind of wanted to see if I could recreate this sounds similar or evocative or anal- of analog synthesizers mm-hmm. um, and el- early from early electronic music and and but trying to to play with acoustic sounds and seeing how I could like make a harmonica sound sound like a Juno synth or something like that. So mm-hmm. which. Uh, which I have here, but I was more interested in like kind of playing with 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 an acoustic sound and messing with it and how it would it would uh, sound more electronic. And so yeah, I, I, I there's something very appealing to me about about the there's another word for ignored. I'm trying to think of there's a sorry my English is uh, escaping me, but. Um, interesting. I think it's the overlooked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also the the tiny and but not the cutesy, just the the tiny in terms of like almost minuscule. And this is also a, a, something that one of those things that I'm I'm very drawn to Bjork because she's also really interested in this and the tiny the minuscule but like kind of zooming into something and seeing what else is there this kind of micro like the uh microscope approach right. to sound and amplifying that and that's why i love music boxes because um mm-hmm. yeah even though people associate them with tunes and i love the melodic part of it them there's so many other tiny sounds that you can find in them and like if you amplify one of those tiny sounds, then that becomes something else. So there's all the like kind of just the metal, the the tiny metal gears moving, and the like the little. Uh, it's almost like metal scraping, but it's so small mm-hmm. that it has it has this character that we don't that we don't hear, you know, it has right. to be amplified. Like it has to be, you have to take that microscopic pr- approach to it. Yeah. I'm, right. I'm so glad you brought up Bjork because that was going to be my, my very next question. And I have it written down um, <laughs> because I've always thought of, and I'm a huge, huge Bjork fan. I've always thought of her music as kind of hovering in a cloud instead of being 
on a line between the two like two extremes of say mm-hmm. pop music and concert music and and I don't think that placing her between two things necessarily is accurate. I kind of feel the same way about your music. I think categorization is a little bit of a mistake when it comes when it comes to your music. And does that enter into how you think about creating music? I mean, are you are you you know, you you you're not feeling a particular pull, you're just where you are. Definitely. And I think because I was living in a world before of where categorizations were what defined what you did and what actually validated what you did. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of problem writing music when I, I even though, um, so I, st- I started just long story short, I, I grew up as a violinist and then, uh, and I had no idea people were writing music. And, and I, when I found uh, out about that, I changed majors composition and I was like really obsessed with all the Russians, Stravinsky, Shostakovich, mm-hmm. Schnitke, and I was writing music, uh, that sounded a little bit like that and and i i was like oh i found my thing up it's writing music it's not performing because i always i as a violinist i knew i loved music but i i it was something beyond not wanting to practice it was something that i was just like more interested in other instruments yeah so i i think i once i started writing music everything started to click but then there was a gap a big gap of like i was writing music that i was not connecting to and then I was playing shows with balloon and and venues in, in all San Juan and and I was really excited about that music and then I was not excited about the music I was writing. I was more writing it so that it looks good on paper and we could talk about it in the right, composition right, right. class. Yeah. Um and and when I moved to New York, um actually I think it was I had one year off between my masters and my doctorate. And that year, I was writing music just for myself and not showing it to anyone. That's when I wrote um, drawings for Mayoko and and other pieces that started incorporating more electronics and the things we're talking about. And I was just writing music, not worrying about what it looked on paper, just how it sounded. And those lines started to blur and stylistic things were not as important. And, um, and there's other composers doing... Uh, things like that and I and and some composers are all, and are very clear about like this is like my classical music this is my band or and I feel like when I opened it up to the like yeah it's uh, I'm using the same sound back sound bank that I would use for a balloon song or for an ambient pop song I'm using it for my string quartet then things kind of started to make sense and it was like of course yeah this is just so much more genuine and, and honest and and yeah, I, I mean, Bjork has always been a huge influence. One of the main reasons why I write music is because of her. Mm-hmm. And whenever I'm doing an interview or I'm thinking about, I'm thinking consciously about what I'm doing. It, I think it, I, can, I can always, always go back to like something that I listened to her either say or, right. or a song of her. So yeah, yeah. it's one of those amazing artists that is just magically does that. She, she really does. I mean... I'm I'm actually kind of surprised I haven't talked about Bjork more often on this podcast because she's like she I mean, in, in terms of it's hard to say she's my favorite pop artist. She's just one of my favorite artists. Right. End of statement. Yeah, um, it's the same thing as like when you when you hear like oh yeah, she's my favorite female drummer. Ex- like, yes, exactly. Yeah, genre styles like all those things are, you know, um 
they were at some point help in term in terms of style helpful when we had like tower records and and for putting music in 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 the for bins, putting, but for I, placing CDs at in a place where oh you want to listen to whatever right. oh you go to this aisle yeah but yeah. anymore it doesn't really matter at all exactly and then and then there's tendencies to especially you know in academia and and in society too to place things on, on under a box and and in a box and I think. Um, <laughs> that was under the box. <laughs> that made me think of things differently. <laughs> My lack of English skills. It's now. <laughs> it's not. That was kind of poetic. In the box, but sometimes purposely under. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think it's it's more of uh, it's more of just creating and listening openly to what you like and not really caring about those things that you know could could close things that would be really meaningful to you right and i mean i think not only in your music but also in how you present yourself on like online and in photographs and everything like that I'm pretty sure that i started following your twitter just because i was like she looks like she's cool you know, because you have like in your Twitter profile, you have, is it wax that's kind of dripped on your neck? Oh, and that's a slime I made a slime? for the photo shoot. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. A DIY slime a with d- glitter glue. <laughs> DIY slime. I love it. I, um, I was under a lot of stress and I started Googling like di- like stress relieving things. Mm-hmm. That was one of the things. Like make your own slime. And it was very therapeutic. I recommend it to, oh, man. to everyone. But the But the point was it actually like, it reminded me of a Bjork album cover, mm-hmm. you know? And I think like, and, and then with your, uh, with your band balloon, you have that picture of the four of the four of you laying on the ground, but two people are in mirrors, you know? Mm-hmm. So you don't, you, they get cut off by the mirrors or, and everything. It's just like, this is, I think this is how composers should be presenting themselves. Meaning that it's not just, a composer sitting in front of a piano surrounded by scores. That's, you know, that's like very stuffy. I mean, and it, mm-hmm. it immediately gives you an impression of who they are and what they do and how their music sounds. But yeah. I think if we, I think if we like take into consideration that it's not that we're just composers, but we're, we're artists in many, in many senses of the word. So like, why not be as mindful about, how you how you come across in in visuals as as how you come across in music and that's why i think like composers that are doing stuff with you know uh visual media or you know really they concern themselves with how the how the concert is actually set up you know the lighting the the mood the atmosphere this is all really important because we we can control all of it now you know so why why don't we i think it's really important for artists in general to and and composers to think about the whole aspect of not only their music but how they present themselves visually because I um I I started making music in bands and I come from the DIY aesthetic of like just like you have to do the whole package yourself and I kind of naturally apply that to my composer mm-hmm. life as well so for me, it was very natural that when I started writing music um, by myself, then that it was 
that I was also thinking about that whole thing because I come from a world that in which that matters a lot and in, in terms of bands. So I I think it's it's so important for artists to like just be aware of the whole package that that it's your music can be influenced by what you put out in, in a visual way too and it's if you're doing things in a very genuine way it's all kind of feeds uh each other and and just the photo shoot I did with the with the slime I I I did myself um that texture of the slime I you know has made it into some right, of my right, music right. and it's all part of the same kind of thing and and I think when you when you're being genuine and honest and presenting yourself as you are to the world uh it it's all part of one thing and it's not as some people think like a, a task a task that's like oh now i have to do this right. photo shoot and it's not that i consider consider myself a model <laughs> or anything it's um and and i don't like being in front of a camera but it's it's i think it's cool to think about it as just like another creative yeah. thing that you can do and 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 that's another opportunity to like share some other things about your music that might not be as evident right right, right. um when yeah. you listen to it so on this uh on this piece la isla magica um who are we going to hear on the recording so you're going to hear my friend eleanor oppenheim she's a, an amazing double bass player that uh, before I met her, actually, I saw her perform in, I think it was uh, Julia Wolf's uh, sister mm-hmm. piece. Uh, is it called Sister? Let me just okay. check. I want to say that again. I don't want to. She's one of my favorite composers, and I can't remember the name of that piece. Uh, Girl Sister. Okay, yeah. And I, let me just go back. So you'll hear Eleanor Oppenheim, and she is an incredible double bass player. She, uh, I saw her first performing in Julia Wolf's Cruel Sister at one of the Bang on a Can mm-hmm. marathons, and it's a string orchestra piece. And I was I couldn't keep my eyes um, off. Yeah, Eleanor, she's amazing. And I didn't know her then. And then I got to meet her and became friends with her. And, and she told me she was doing a, an album for solo bass and invited me to write a piece. So I was thrilled. Awesome. So this is La Isla Magica. Thank you. 
you kind of embrace lo-fi aesthetic in that last piece. And did that practice evolve out of your activities in Puerto Rico? And what I think you described in your bio being like part of the Puerto Rican underground. What what was or or is still happening there? Wow, there's uh, so much happening and so much that happened that influenced who I am. Um, my first live show ever was a band that no longer exists, but it's called Super Aquello. It translates mm-hmm. roughly to Super That, an amazing electronic band. Uh, and that actually also was really aware about the importance of the visual aspect of your music and just Mm -hmm. the two singers came from a a performance background so um it was kind of modern dance with electronic music with a lot of very specific puerto rican phrases and things that were just i was Mm -hmm. just like this is me um and then that changed (laughs) me and that was before i i started balloon actually and then um at the time that balloon started, which was early two thousands, and and the island, there's so, there's a really vivid uh, DIY scene. A lot of punk hardcore bands. The scene is very small. So balloon, even though we were um, an electronic band, at at that time we played shows with bands of all genres, and that's mm-hmm. something that's very much. Uh, I think more so before, still a little bit, but it's something that's very uh, kind of an essential part of the Puerto Rican indie scene is that uh, you play with bands of many genres. And I played like violin right, yeah. and like a hardcore band uh, intro once and then balloon played and it was it's just kind of... Uh, and you see the same people at every show. It's like a lot of scenes. Yeah. Um, and now there's a lot of really interesting things too. There's, I think there's always been a, besides the punk and hardcore, which is the biggest, uh, like most bands that you find there and garage now, I think there's also really interesting things happening with, uh, artists that are doing performance based things. Um, mm-hmm. so a lot of, so not necessarily just, just a band, but you know, a, performative act that has so there's definitely that but i i'm thinking of bands that the performance and the the performative aspect of it it's really kind of the big part of the band so like Mm, okay um, actually the singer from that band that that's one of my favorite bands super aquello uh he now has his own uh solo project and it's basically a drag performance and but it's amazing music too um and there's yeah i think there's a lot of uh really interesting play with gender and and what else can you do with something that's music playing with influences from theater too but not making it music theater Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. yeah there's and there's also a lot of uh like a big noise scene too so a lot of experimental music coming from the island too there's there's lots going on and 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 that really i feel shaped me as a as a musician just this idea of doing things yourself like recording in your own bathroom just Uh burning the city and printing it in your home and then going out at a show and and selling that i think i i 
that's still very much part of of how I think of of things and and yeah that part of recording in my own bathroom I never thought of as a problem and I really love the that the sounds didn't sound so pristine and mm-hmm. yeah and that lo-fi quality still is very important part of my music and I and I love sounds that are not clean and that have a little bit of kind of uh dirt to them yeah definitely and I mean you know kind of transitioning into your last piece uh El Colapso um the one thing that I loved about your bio I love that in your bio you say you write for accordions robotic instruments toys and electronics as well as chamber (laughs) ensembles and orchestras I love that you know it you first of all you put the stuff that as you said gets probably overlooked I love that you put that first and that it's on that all of those things are on the same playing field Mm -hmm. you know like that orchestra isn't the end all be all of of music that this sound that came out of my kitchen that I recorded in my bathroom is just as interesting musically as a hundred people sitting together playing sounds that we've been hearing for hundreds and hundreds of Mm -hmm. years you know but the thing is you've never heard these two sounds clacking together in this context you know like that's that's awesome to me and I think that that kind of comes into this uh this last piece uh El Colapso and um you said that this is part of a song cycle so there are is it is this with your band Balloon or is this uh separate from that that's separate from Balloon um I started uh writing music with Balloon and I also had this project um side project uh that I called Arturo mm-hmm. en el barco Arthur on the boat and it was ambient instrumental ambient music and I I started playing a lot with Fruity Loops at the time which is Mm -hmm. uh, I used it as a sequencer so I recorded my own sounds in a cassette uh, uh, recorded and then I put them in, in Fruity Loops and then messed around with those sounds and used Fruity Loops as a sequencer at the time and I think still now Fruity Loops it's very known in Puerto Rico for being where like the software that people use for reggaeton and mm-hmm. I come from a place where it's where reggaeton was born Carolina and and I so so I I started making music that was instrumental with Arturo en el Barco and that project evolved into a chamber ensemble when I moved here and it was still instrumental. And then I started writing songs. And still within the ambient pop world, but it was more... It was a little more pop because it had words. And I, because of my work in balloon singing, I was more interested in, in using words. And mm-hmm. so this is kind of an evolution of that ambient project. It still doesn't have a name. My, I just say... Uh, my name, so it's under Angelica Negron. Sometimes I call it Angelica Negron y los objetos maravillosos, which translates to uh, and the marvelous objects, because I, the project is inspired oh, by like tiny things that I've collected over the years. Right. Um, yeah. And yeah, but it's it's a it's a song of many that I perform either solo a lot of the times myself, uh, or when I'm lucky and I have 
some collaborators that like Bajoan, who's in this track, actually playing Latin American and Andean folk instruments like sampoña, so pan flute, and charango, which is a string instrument from the Andes. Uh, so he's in this track, and he sometimes plays with me, but he lives in Puerto Rico. Okay. So, um, so yeah, it's uh, Balloon, it's, it's a different project in which I make music with three other people. Right. And, and, th- and then this piece is coming directly from you in, in, in all of its aspects. Yes, and it's more along the lines of what I'm performing. If you like, I'm performing next week to shows, um, and then I'm going to play a collapse and other songs too. And I consider mm-hmm. those all part of the same song cycle. Mm-hmm. And um, what, is the, what is the text kind of describing in this, in this song? It's kind of setting up a scene of what someone is physically experiencing when they're to when they're at a point that they can't no longer continue. It's like they're mm. about to collapse, collapse. Yeah, literally. Um, so it's <laughs> describing what what's happening in the body and and a little bit in your mind at that moment right before you you kind of don't have control over it anymore. Awesome. Well, this is the song El Collapso. Thank you. 
coming uh, coming to the last question, uh, which I ask all the composers that I have on the podcast, is how did you come to music as something that you wanted to pursue as your life? I come from a very musical family, even though I only have one uh, uh, person in my family that's a professional musician. But uh, mm-hmm. in Puerto Rico, we grow up around a lot of, of music and and it's part of of the culture and family parties. There's always music and everyone has an instrument in their hands. Um, my mom loves percussion. And so I always knew it was special in my life. I grew up playing, I started playing piano, then violin, and I was always listening to music. But I, for me, there was always something missing in the beginning because I, felt like I didn't really fit in in the performer's world and that mm-hmm. I wasn't good enough, but I also didn't want to be good enough because I was not the path yeah. that I wanted. Um, so I was very confused for a long time. So that's why it's a little hard to answer the question because I knew deep inside that music was going to be part of my life, but it was not until I started composing that everything started to click and make sense and, and that I knew that this was going to be my life for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say that was in the around, yeah, like early 2000s, very early 2000, 2000, 2001, when I started composing and, and it, I got into composing because I was so interested in other instruments and I started realizing that I, what I wanted to do was to write for all the instruments rather than to perform them. And I was studying right. instruments more as an investigation of like, what can you do with it? Um, but I, at the moment, I didn't know that you could actually write music. So um, that revelation was just for me what what made me re, um, what made me just finally realize that that's that's what I wanted to do with my life was just mm-hmm. to write music. Well, and I think it's kind of interesting that, you know, you you started out from a place where you were, oh, I want to write for everyone else. And I think with the with some of the pieces you've uh, that we've listened to today, it seems like you're kind of going back to that place where, oh, I, I still, you know, I still want to perform in a way. Yeah, that's that's interesting because I love performing it and I love performing, but things that I write but not in <laughs> right and and not in the you know not you're you're not going to step up with your violin and play Mozart or something but rather you're going to step up with the these toys and and do something with right, them I, you know I, and that's that's what's interesting about yeah, it. I think I'm I love performing and I'm really interested in performing but the things that I find that are that are very much my own and I I feel like I have some some sense of not some, but a lot of connection actually to them. So yeah. uh, I remember I took, I studied a little bit of harp because I was really interested in the harp and it's still one of my favorite instruments that was in that kind of bridge of like realizing before I realized that I wanted to write music. And I remember there were no harpists in the conservatory in Puerto Rico. So um, the orchestra conductor, I was like at the end of the orchestra and the second violins and he uh-huh. saw me practicing harp and he was like, wait, you're playing harp? I'm play- I really want to do this overture that has a harp part. And I was like, oh, so <laughs> petrified. And 
he put me in front of the orchestra oh man to showcase me and i i i I don't think i did a great job i think i did an okay job but it was terrifying um but i'm thinking back of an experience i had this past summer i wrote a piece for the albany symphony and a children's chorus and i also performed in the piece myself and i sang Uh in the piece and played a lot of of electronic instruments and and things like that and that was not scary at all because i think that's kind of it's what feels like my instrument and those other ones didn't feel they just felt like for me i was looking at them more more as like a scientist that is interested and intrigued by Uh them but not as my own and these new tools do feel like my own awesome well before we go can you tell everyone where they can find uh your music and how to connect with you online Sure. So you can uh, find my music on my website, which is my name, angelicanegron.com. That's A-N-G-E-L-I-C-A-N-E-G-R-O-N. And uh, I'm also on SoundCloud and and Twitter. I should be more active on Twitter. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, and it's uh, all under, under my name. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this, Angelica. Thanks for having me. It's so so fun to talk to you. Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about adjective new music or lexical tones, please go to our website, www.adjectivenewmusic.com.